You are listening to a Live City Church podcast, and we hope you'll experience Jesus today. We are excited to have you join our extended online church family. If you would like further information or wish to access more content, please connect with us on our Live City Church Facebook page or visit us at livecitychurch.com. foundational scripture for this message is John 4 23 to 24 yet a time is coming and now has come when the true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and in truth for they are the kind of worshipers the father seeks God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and truth this morning we're going to go on a bit of a discovery a journey in discovering just what worship actually is biblically. When I say worship, most of us have an image that comes to our mind straight away. Next slide, please, Daniel. And that's that kind of image that comes to our mind. But sometimes one word can mean something to somebody and it can mean something totally different to somebody else. It's kind of like the old joke with the man who's driving down the street with 20 penguins in the back seat and the police pull him up and the police officer says, what are you doing with the penguins? And he says, I'm taking them out for a drive. And the officer says, well, no, you need to get those penguins to a zoo. So the man says, yes, officer, I'll do that. And the next day the man's out driving again and the cop pulls him up again, the same police officer, and he sees the penguins in the back. And the officer says, I thought I told you to take those penguins to the, to the zoo yesterday. And the man said, yes, officer, I did. And today I'm taking them to the movies. <laughs> you see, sometimes one word can mean something different to somebody else. And it's the same with worship. Worship can mean so many different things to each of us. And it depends on our background, which churches we're involved in, our experiences, and what we what we see on TV, etc. One time I was talking to a man in a church, and he was feeling a bit down because he said he was so busy, he only had about 15 minutes a week to worship God, which was at the church service, singing. He said he was so busy with family, with work, and doing some ministry, he never really had time to worship the Lord. He thought that he was missing out because he only spent 15 minutes singing at church. But is that what worship really is? Worship is indeed the singing that we do in the mornings. But there's much more to worship than just that. But unfortunately, we're so conditioned today in the church, in the Western church, of what we think worship is. Can you go to the next slide, please, Daniel? Just a quick Google search on worship uh, in pictures brings hundreds of similar pictures to this. Hands raised in the air, colorful flashing lights, exuberant, loud worship, sometimes smoke machines, head-banging music. <laughs> some church, I've been in some churches where the music's so loud the people had to leave because it hurt their ears. For some reason, some worship leaders think that God's getting older now and he's getting a little bit deaf, so we've got to blast it out. 
But I don't believe that's what the Bible is actually referring to as proper worship. Christianity in our Western culture and the idolization of youth, nothing against the youth, but its idolization of youth has really set the paradigm for us, the way we view what worship is. In some churches, worship, the worship service seems to be the main focus. The band, it's a major production, sometimes entertainment, and sometimes a minor focus on the Word of God. Worship, in some cases, has evolved into a major church event. Can you do that video, please, Daniel? This is a light-heart look at how worship's become. for the big show to start here in sunny Steepleville. And what a day it is. It just doesn't get any better than this. I'm Bob Cobb, joined by my colleague, Taffy Babbler. And you're looking at beautiful aerial shots provided by Airship Worship, now broadcasting in HD. And you love to see the players getting focused, getting their mind right, getting in the proverbial zone. And here are the starting lineups brought to you today by Stump and Sons Altars, keeping knees at ease since 1933. Dan Verbosti, pastor, the Bamford Theological Seminary. Jerry Woodwind, worship, Eastern Southwest Central School of Divinity. Frank Banter, associate assistant to the intern of the executive minister of community ministry, GED. Jerry, how is the injury? Uh, you know, it's, it's fine. There's some soreness. Uh, X-rays were negative, but I should be fine as long as I stay away from B-flat. So. Are you worried about re-injuring it? Um, you know, as long as I, I play hard and, and play at my pace, uh, I think I should be fine. Have you ever bet on attendance? What? Have you ever taken anabolic steroids? No. Have you ever lip-synced worship? <laughs> Listen, we're about to get started here. And here's the kickoff. And it's a slow play. Wow, that's big. You're the home team. You want to have a surprise or two up your sleeve. What I call mixing up ability. It sounds like the new Darlene Zek or or Zeke or Zeku. Zeesh. Yeah, is it Zeechi maybe? Uh, Darlene Zeesh. Uh, let's go to our sideline reporter, Billy Sturpot. This uh, crowd seems a little bit lethargic, but uh, this town is known for late crowds. So maybe by halftime, they'll be a little more into it. It looks like Johnny Weems is headed for an early exit. Chiefs fan. They play at 11. Oh, my. Look at this. A huge error. Enormous. You're the media team. You're leading the league in fumbles. You can't let this happen. You can't let this happen. Terrible timing, especially on a new song. Look at this crowd. It, it's bedlam. Pandemonious. Look at Maggie Jensen, veteran over loud singer. She hasn't missed a word. What a performance. One of the greats, Bob. One of the greats. I'm sure some of us can actually relate to that. Yet only a few years ago, worship was expressed sorry, a few decades ago, I should say, worship was expressed in churches in a little bit more different way. It involved more repentance and focus on God's Word. Worship actually looked a little bit different a few decades ago. Can you go to the next slide, please, Daniel? There is a move in some churches that now rejects anything that's seen as negative or confronting. 
Some churches don't want people to feel bad. Repentance is not politically correct. Next slide, please, Daniel. Some negative things, or what is seen as negative things, are not welcome in some churches. Next slide, please, Daniel. Some people now see worship as a party time to rock on with God. We all have ideas of what we think worship should look like. But I want us to take us a deeper look at what the Bible says because the Bible is our foundation. Not church culture, not traditions, the Bible. And we need to understand that uh, dusty Bibles belong to rusty disciples. And Bibles that are falling apart belong to believers that generally aren't. So we need to be in the Word. We need to have a look at what the deeper meanings of worship actually is and whether or not we are worshipping God in spirit and truth and how do we set our life in a mode of worship every day. Firstly, we need to understand that there is, of course, false worship. I'm just going to turn to Mark chapter 15. Mark chapter 15, verses 16 to 20, if you have your Bibles or your phones or whatever it is that you're using to read the Scriptures. If you can turn to Mark 15, verses 16 to 20. It says, The soldiers led Jesus away into the hall called the Praetorium, and they called together the whole garrison. And there they clothed Jesus with purple. They twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And they began to salute him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And then they struck him on the head with a reed, and they spat on him, and bowing the knee, they worshipped him. Quite clearly, that's not true worship. They had an image of worshipping, an appearance of worshipping, but the intent of their heart was to mock Jesus. In Hebraic thinking, biblical thinking, true worship is all about a Hebrew word called kavanah, which means intention, focus. What is the intention and focus of our hearts? You know, we can be singing worship songs like this morning and be thinking about cheeseburgers. It's quite easy to fake worship, being honest. But biblical worship is not just the lifting of holy hands, it's lifting of your heart. And it's quite easy to do fake worship and sing songs that we don't really mean. Daniel, can you do that next video, please? I will sing of your love on Sundays Then this feeling is gone by Monday I surrender some I surrender some Jesus, I will give
song for years It's now a standard here some that's what worship actually really is so when you sing first of all where is your covenant where's your intention of your heart are you focusing on God or are you focusing on other things you know Jesus rebuked some of the religious leaders and fakes of his day in Matthew 15 7 8 Jesus calls them hypocrites and he says, well, did Isaiah say about you guys, you draw near to me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. They're leaving lip service to the Lord, but they're not really worshipping God. God doesn't need a fancy show from each of us. He doesn't need a performance. He just wants our hearts. I remember being in a church, and uh, the choir practice was on, and... The people there were singing and they're raising their hands and looking up to God and saying how much they loved God and worshipping God. And there was a break between the songs. And then two of the people were having a discussion and uh, one of the worship team, a lady, called the man a bleep, 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 um, can't say the words. And then they stopped talking because the next song started. And then they were lifting their hands and saying how much they loved God again and praise and worship. Their actions didn't match their words. That's fake, absolute fake. Worship cannot just be based on emotional highs, goosebumps, and feelings of intimacy with God. There may be good times, but it cannot just be our focus and guide to feel something. Proverbs 3.5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. Proverbs 28.26 says, A man who trusts in his heart is a fool. And Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceptively wicked. No one can understand it. Our hearts can guide us, but it can guide us wrongly. There's only one thing that's a true God, and that's the Word of God. Worship is not just about having a nice emotional time. Far from it. In Acts 16.25-34, Ruth mentioned Paul, the Apostle Paul, not our pastor. The Apostle Paul was beaten up. Him and Silas were beaten up, whipped and here they were, more than likely at midnight, in a dingy, stinking prison with no air, 
It says their feet were locked in fetters. They were whipped, so they were had open, bleeding cuts. They were stinging. They were sore. They were not in an emotional high and loving God with all the sweetness, yet they were worshiping God. Worship is actually an act of faith, not feelings. And that's why the Word of God is so important in our lives. We can't go off just what our feelings. A friend of mine, a Christian, was a manager of a factory, and one of his employees was also a um, Pentecostal Christian. And before each day that work started, he would walk around the factory praying in tongues out loud. And, uh, of course, all the other workers thought he was a complete fool. And so my friend privately took him aside and said, Listen, man, the Bible says don't cast your pearls before swine. You're not doing a good thing by walking around praying in tongues in front of unbelievers. And the guy said, Well, I'm not guided by the Bible. I'm guided by the leading of the Holy Spirit. Um, that's an absolute contradiction. It's the Holy Spirit who wrote the Bible. We're guided by the Bible, not just feelings. So singing love songs to the Lord when it's truly from our heart is worshipping God in spirit and truth. But can I suggest there's a whole lot more, which we're going to find out, a whole lot more, well, there's a whole lot more to worship. I wish there was a whole lot more time. Vibrant worship seems to be the focus and draw cards in many churches. And can I have the next slide, please, Daniel? And many times you see advertisements for worship or church, and that's kind of what they look like. But do you know, if we had a snapshot of what worship looked like in the early church, in the time of Jesus, this is what it would look like. Daniel, can you? Thank you. In the time of Jesus, and I encourage you to study, to research. Don't listen to anything I say. Check it out for yourselves. In the time of Jesus, the highest form of worship was Bible study was studying the Word of God. And in fact, in some Jewish communities, religious communities, that still is. If you go to a synagogue, the most important place in the synagogue is called a Bet Midrash, which means house of study. The Bible they have in a scroll is housed in the center or in the most prominent part of the synagogue. They sing songs, but for them, worship, worshiping the Lord definitely revolves around the Word of God. In Acts 2, 41 to 42, can we go to that slide, Daniel, please? I don't know if you can read that. It says, those who accepted the message were baptized. About 3,000 were saved that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And next slide, please, Daniel. In Acts 6, 1 to 4 again, it goes on, and it talks about there was a problem in the church and people were complaining they weren't getting looked after by the uh, offerings that were coming in. Some of the widows were complaining. And so the leaders of the church said, let's put seven guys in charge of this, men full of the Holy Spirit, because we need to, if you go to the next slide, please, Daniel, we need to focus our responsibility and give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. Prayer and ministry of the Word. These were the key things in church worship in the early church. But biblical worship is much more. It's not just singing, it's not just prayer, and it's not just the Word of God. Slide 13, thanks, Daniel. 
Exodus 8, 1 says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh and say to him, This is what the Lord says, Let my people go, so that they may worship me. In the New King James and a lot of other versions, it says that they may serve me. The Hebrew word there is avodah. And, and worship and serve are synonymous. They mean the same thing in Hebrew. I was in a church where there was a man who was on the worship team, and all he ever did was be on the worship team. He didn't help pack up. He didn't help sit down. He didn't do anything except expect to be served. He thought he was something special because he was on the worship team. And what he did, he fooled himself and missed out because worship biblically is not just singing. Worship biblically is serving. And is serving really important to God? Mark 9, and 45, which says, Whoever of you desires to be first of all must be slave or servant of all. For the Son of Man came himself not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus came as a servant and says that we too must be servants. Billy Graham, who just died last week, said the highest form of worship is the worship of unselfish Christian service. That's what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be serving one another. And if you look at that, Exodus 8.1, God says, Let my people go free, that they can have a happy, carefree life with no responsibilities. No, God says, Let my people go free in order that they may serve me, not just do our own thing. When we become Christians, we say we are going to follow God, we're going to serve God. That's what we're supposed to be doing, not just joining a religious social club. Our life is measured by service. Another thing that Hebrew says is worshipping God is work. And I can't go into scriptures maybe for another time, but when you actually go to work, if you commit your work to the Lord, in the New Testament it says that you are honouring God. Whether you've got a bad boss or a good boss, if you go and shine God will use you. Don't go running around at your work telling everyone you're a Christian. Let them see you're a Christian by your actions. Serving is about serving others, about sacrificing some of the things that we want. In Matthew 6.24, Jesus said we cannot serve two masters. In Matthew 12.30, Jesus said whoever is not with me is against me. And in Revelation 3.15 and 16, Jesus said, I wish you were hot or cold, but because you're lukewarm, because you can't make up your mind, because you think you can sit on the fence, he said, you make me sick and I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. we got to decide that we are following the Lord. Worship is actually living a life of following God, of serving God and serving others. And I'll just close with one story of a man R.J. Thomas, or Robert Germain Thomas, I don't know if any of you have heard of him, but he decided he wanted to serve God. And sometimes when we serve God, we don't think we have any impact, but God uses every little thing that he can to impact this world. And Robert Thomas, Robert Germain Thomas, was good at languages. And in the 1860s, he went to China with his little wife who was pregnant, and they went to Shanghai and they stayed there. But the summer was unbearable for his wife. And so he decided to travel inland and try and find a cooler place for them to live. But when he got back, he found out that his wife miscarried. And because she miscarried, there were complications and she died. And so he left China a broken man 
went back to secular work, and um, but he couldn't get the call of God out of his heart. And then he met a couple of Catholic missionaries who told him about another Asian country where the missionaries were persecuted and killed. And he had a heart to go and serve there. No one was making any inroads. It was outlawed to have white Westerners there. It was a really hard place to try and bring the gospel. But he decided he would go there. And he went there on one trip and he gave out some Bibles and he was hassled and harassed. But he gave out some Bibles and there was a couple of people who became open to the gospel. And then he left. And he thought, I need to go back again. So this time he took even more Bibles with him. And he got on a, a, a ship with some American sailors and traveled up the river in this country. But the people didn't want the Westerners coming in and they certainly didn't want the gospel. So they attacked the ship. And everyone was killed except Robert Jermaine Thomas. And he swam ashore on the beach and he had his Bible in his hand. And one of the guys, one of the soldiers came up with a big samurai sword and was about to take off his head. And Robert Jermaine Thomas asked him to wait. And the witnesses say that he seemed to be talking to himself. He was praying. And then he handed the Bible to the guy that was about to kill him and pleaded with him to read the Bible. And then the guy picked up the soldier picked up his sword and lopped off his head. So Robert Jermaine Thomas's missionary efforts seemed to be minimal, didn't seem to get anywhere, didn't seem to do anything great. Yet the guy that killed him couldn't get out of his head what, what was it about this book. So he began reading it and another witness that was there couldn't get over what was so special about this book. So he started reading it. And one, the young man that witnessed it and started reading it became a Christian. And then he tore all the Bible pages out of his Bible and he plastered it on all the walls inside his house, invited friends to come over for dinner. And so people were reading the gospel when they entered his house. And the soldier that killed Robert Jermaine Thomas, he too became a Christian. And they started a little movement of spreading the word of God and more and more disciples came to know the Lord because Robert Jermaine Thomas wanted to serve the Lord. And the gospel spread and more people become Christians. Some say up to 30% of that Asian nation is Christian. And out of the world's 50th, out of the world's 50 most largest megachurches, 25 of them belong to this country. And that country is Korea. One man's call to serve in his way and what seemed as nothing, God turned into an amazing miracle in Korea. Friends, worship is a lifestyle. Worship is an act of faith that each and every one of us are called to, not just on Sunday here, but each and every day. And I challenge you and I encourage you, live a life of worship. And I'm just going to ask, would you just bow your heads just for one second? And maybe ask the Lord... Well, maybe you don't even have to ask. You know if you've been living a life of worship or not. But this morning, make this the time for you to commit to the Lord to live a life of worship every day in serving, in working, in singing, and in everything that we do. Thank you for joining Life City Church. 
and we hope that you were blessed and inspired by today's message. If this ministry has made an impact on your life, we'd love to hear from you. Please drop us a line and share your story at thanks at livecitychurch.com or email us your prayer needs at prayer at livecitychurch.com. We'd love to connect with you and hear more about your story. If you love the ministry of Live City Church, you can make a financial gift to help us spread the good news of Jesus by going to livecitychurch.com and clicking the giving tab. We hope today's message has spoken into your life and look forward to your next visit.